This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 25. Welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host this week, Brett Hurst. And I'm Kelly Hurst. And we are both marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. We always say this. Our hope is very simple. We want to encourage you in your marriage relationship because we believe healthy marriage should be a front burner conversation. So that's why we keep doing this. We want it to be a front burner conversation. Well, today we are very fortunate to have a special guest and great friend with us in the studio, Randy Schrader. Randy is the managing director for Ronald Blue and Company's branch office here in Houston. And uh, he has been there since 1992. If I get any of this wrong, just tell me. Uh, He's a uh, certified financial planner. Uh, He assists clients in defining financial goals and solving problems and also pursuing a comprehensive and strategic financial and investment plan. Randy's also very active in the community. He serves on the boards of several key citywide organizations. Um, We have a connection there. And he and his wife, Stacy have three grown children, and uh, how many grandchildren? One grandchild. One, Yay. yeah. So that's, uh, how's that going? Ah, it's incredible. <laughs> Especially since he's currently living in my house. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's like, uh, it's reminding me of 25 years ago when uh, we would be wake, woke up in the morning to the sound of crying baby. <laughs> so, so what goes around comes around. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're very honored to have you, uh, Randy, so welcome to Marriage to the Max. Thank you, thank you. And uh, today, we're going to talk about money. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, but we wanted to do it with someone who really knew what they were talking about. Randy, you know that we do a lot of work, not just with married couples, but also with premarital couples. And so today, we kind of want to focus on that particular side of things. There are financial issues that are maybe particularly specific to newlyweds and newlyweds. And even though financial principles, we think, tend to be universal, there there are still questions and uh, specific issues, maybe some things that premarital couples haven't heard about before. So good things for them to ponder before they say, I do. We've got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right in with your, uh, with your permission. So let's go. First thing we want to ask you is, why, why do you think it's important for premarital couples to have productive and and very open conversations about finances. Why is that important? Well, the statistics really speak loudly to that. Mm. When uh, when you see that it uh, it is the case that um, roughly over 50% of people that get a divorce say that uh, problems in the area of money were um, key uh, issues that related to the divorce. Yeah, we hear that from family law uh, people all the time, that that's, it's still number one. Yeah, yeah. So you got to, you know, you just got to go after it uh, with eyes wide open. And, you know, anything that's that prominent has to be talked about pretty openly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's just a power-packed, power-charged 
topic <laughs> that is actually um, hard to talk about mm-hmm. and, you know, oftentimes leads to getting in fights when you talk about it mm-hmm. and people just kind of agreeing to quit talking about it right. um, in order to keep some sanity in the room. Oh, and a lot sense. of premarital couples think that they don't need to talk about money until after they're married, but you would say what to that, it, that they need to start before? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be, you know, before, during, and after kind of mm-hmm. thing, um, yeah. type of thing. It's just you can't, uh, uh, you know, you're never going to really know completely who you're marrying mm-hmm. <laughs> when you get married. I mean, it's, and and even if you know them pretty well, they're going to change after, and you're going to change after you get married. So right. it's, it's fraught with uh, difficulty anyway, but... Um, but man, go for the conversations mm-hmm. early on about that. And, uh, we'll talk about, you know, some of the ideas of what to talk about mm-hmm. here in a minute. Might even yeah. save you some surprises down the road if you start early. Yeah, absolutely. One mm-hmm. of the things we spend a lot of time talking about with premarital couples is just the, the whole idea, really myths about being compatible in general, some of the misunderstandings about that. How important is it on the other hand, for couples to be financially compatible, or is that even something that's possible? Certainly, you're going to have two different types of personalities having these discussions. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, it's um, it's good to know what you're getting into before uh, you get married as to how uh, compatible or incompatible uh, you you are, but. Um, you're never going to find somebody that you're really perfectly compatible with in their area of money. Uh, you're going to find that no matter who you're engaged to, um, you're, you come from really different uh, arenas um, when it comes to money. The key is to really delve into what we call their money story, to ask each other, um, what is your money story? And what we mean by that is what did you see, observe, learn, hear from your parents mm-hmm. about money? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's proactive things your parents said, taught you, intentionally tried to train you. Mm-hmm. Some of it is you just observed it. In other words, if your dad and mom went bankrupt and you saw an enormous amount of fighting going on in your family as a result of that, mm-hmm. they might not have taught you, said, or discussed it, but you, you just observed message. it. <laughs> And, and, you know, that marked you in some way and caused oftentimes some decisions or even you might use a word like a vow to say, I will never do mm. this mm. or that as a result of having seen that pain uh, in your family. Mm-hmm. And so if your, sp- uh, your fiancé has that kind of uh, and they do. They all. We all have experiences relative to money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad um, uh, proactively taught me to save ten percent mm-hmm. of of everything, and uh, and then he he didn't teach me this, but I observed it. He had a, a ledger book where he kept track of every penny he spent. <laughs> <laughs> And and I would I still have vivid pictures in my mind of the room, the desk, and the setting of him sitting down with that ledger book, recording to the penny what he spent. Wow! And and then when I was in college, my mom pulled me aside and said, "You know how your dad makes me track every penny." 
if you do that to your wife, I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That's tattooed on your brain. (laughs) But I love putting it in that kind of talk, your money story. That kind of brings it, it makes it personal, and it makes it, you realize that everyone has a money story. Good, bad, positive, negative, we're all kind of in the same boat that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey always talks about one person being what? What are his friends? I think the free spirit and the nerd, yes. a spender saver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So certainly they're going to bring those kinds of differences. Tell me about some financial red flags that young couples, particularly engaged and newlywed couples, should be aware of. You know, like obviously debt and things like that. What are things that you think they should be? particularly on the lookout for? If you will, to use some financial terms, getting a feel for what your fiancé's net worth statement is, you know, mm-hmm. what, what are their assets and liabilities mm-hmm. that you're about to step into, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just a, a real good starting place mm-hmm. so that, um, uh, that you know what you're stepping into. But then, but then also uh, beginning to have, uh, to try and find those vast differences of opinion mm-hmm. on things. For example, if you're a faith-based couple and you have, um, you're, you're going to have an opinion about how much you think you should give. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, so what's your conviction and what's your fiance's conviction mm-hmm. about that? And, you know, uh, that, that's a big question. That's a huge Just in terms of question. dollars and cents, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. And, It'll produce an enormous amount of uh, conflict, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't get on the same page mm-hmm. on it. And I can guarantee you, you're not going to start out on the same page. You <laughs> yeah. may not be far apart, <laughs> but the chances of you both, if you just took a, 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 a test and wrote down, okay, write your number down and then pass them to the moderator, <laughs> <Yeah>. those two <laughs> pieces of paper are not going to have the same number on yeah. it or the same percentage. Right. And so um, talk it through. And and. And don't just try and negotiate your spouse to your position mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Ask good questions mm-hmm. to, the, to your fiancé. Mm-hmm. So how did you come to believe what you believe about mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. What informs that? Because it could be that it's a really well-thought-through conviction. It could be that it's just what your parents guilted you into doing and— you haven't really decided for yourself what you believe, and you need to talk it through. Like with the whole uh, saving thing, you know, when I got married, I told my wife, okay, we're going to save 10%. Mm-hmm. And I, I just mechanically said that as reproduced what was in my head from what my you, dad. Yeah. What you've always said. Uh-huh. And to which she said, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it wasn't a... I don't agree with that. You're crazy. She wasn't being snarky. Yeah. It, it was just, tell me what you think. Yeah. What are we going to do with that? Right. Are we ever going to spend that 10% or uh-huh. is, are we just going to hoard it? Yeah. And, and it was a legit question that I had never thought about. Right. And so it, it made me think for the first time ever mm-hmm. about, okay, well, I, I guess I am doing that just because my dad said to, and mm-hmm. it's a good thing in general, but you do save to spend. You don't save to hoard. Right. Exactly. And money is one of the, it's, it seems to be one of those areas that people 
or at least we we recognize it in other couples, they try to keep it separate. They're willing to ask the whys of other things in their relationship, you know, about family of origin issues. But money never seems to enter that conversation. So I just like that idea of asking them, well, why, how did you arrive at that? And, you know, what did you see growing up? And I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the thing, the, the one of the biggest questions we get from young couples when we're teaching our married life prep class is, how do you start to join your finances when you're married? Um, you or know, or even is that a is or that is that important? even I mean, important. we have an opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, we started out our marriage with a joint account, and we've never done anything differently. That's just how we've always done it. We felt like that was a biblical thing to do, a one flesh thing to do. But, you know, younger people today are like, you know, I've got my own money. He has his own money. Does it make sense to pull it all together? And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Well, like you, Stacy and I started out our marriage 29 years ago with one account. And we have we've always done it that way. Um, I've I've certainly run across and counseled a lot of couples with it, do it a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. and some do have separate accounts. Certainly, couples that are coming into a second marriage mm-hmm. and they have separate property assets um, are going to need to think through that, talk through that, pray through that. There's, There's children involved, yeah. And other issues. I mean, there are you know legitimate times, places, and ways where a, a separate. Uh, situation could make some sense. But for the basic first marriage couple, I would really encourage going at it with one account Mm -hmm. and trying to be as unified. Otherwise, you end up just getting this, it's my money, your money. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then you start having to negotiate who's going to pay what bills. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and it just creates a lot of tension of, uh, you know, who's going to pay what and how much, and and so you end up acting like two divorced people or, or second married people, even mm-hmm. though it's it's your first marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's an impediment to becoming, I mean, learning how to become one, which is a lifelong learning process. You know, how do we become even more one this year than we were the previous year? And Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very good. Let me ask you this. In your opinion, how should a couple prioritize the following. I'm just going to give you a couple ideas. Getting out of debt, paying off a mortgage, investing for retirement, and uh, something Dave Ramsey talks a lot about, the uh, establishing an emergency fund. How would you counsel uh, a younger couple just starting out as far as prioritization of those? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the way that well, first, let me tell you the way that most people do it, and then I'll tell you the way that I think it works better. And that is that most people pay their bills, and then if there's anything left over, they uh, save and give. And and they will um, typically then end up with very little saving and giving. Mm-hmm. But if you ask them what's important to you, they'll tell you, Saving and giving is mm-hmm. is important. Like and that's a value that's it, important to them. Yeah, at some level, mm-hmm. that's important, and yet it didn't get prioritized mm-hmm. as though it were important. Mm-hmm. And so the better way to do that is to flip that whole model upside down mm-hmm. and say, okay, let's agree that we're going to start with the things that are most important to us. Mm-hmm. We're going to give and we're going to save. And then we're going to force our lifestyle into the rest. Mm-hmm. 
which could mean making some hard decisions. Mm -hmm. But you'll never make those hard decisions if you don't do it that way. So that's how you'll achieve the goals of your values that you've stated together. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So then the first thing to do is to build, uh, let's assume you have some debt that you have to pay off. Mm -hmm. You you never want to take all of your savings and throw it at your debt Mm -hmm. because invariably what will happen is then 30 days later your um, radiator will go out and you'll Mm -hmm. end up with several hundred dollars on a credit card. Right. So – Build that emergency fund. Mm-hmm. I think Dave Ramsey says get a thousand dollars in an emergency fund mm-hmm. because that'll you know generally cover most emergency type car repairs or whatever that might happen. Um, and and then you know ultimately you want to build your emergency fund up to the the kind of the classic model of three to six months of living expenses, but that's mainly for if you get laid off mm-hmm. and you're having to transition careers, jobs, companies, cities, mm-hmm. and you need a transition uh, buffer mm-hmm. for that, that chances of that happening are not super high. So I would say get, you know, one month's, uh, you know, emergency fund to start with. The baby emergency yeah, fund. Yeah, that's what right. Ramsey calls that's it. right. Yeah. And then start going after your credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's and lethal. hitting that because it's typically 15, 20, 25% interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so go after that hard with a goal of trying to get that paid off in 12 to 24 months mm-hmm. and then make a commitment that you're going to stay out of credit card debt for the rest of your life. Right. Just don't, don't even entertain the possibility mm-hmm. that you know, once you get out of it, you'll that you'll ever go back into it. We're not uh, we're not brilliant people. We've been married twenty five years, but that that is one thing we have done from the beginning was we were determined not to have credit card debt, and I think that has definitely served us well as a couple. So I appreciate you saying that. So how important is I'm going to ask you about the B word, the word budget. <laughs> Stop cussing on the uh, public airwaves. Is there a, people cringe at that word who don't who don't practice living on a budget? They just think it's the most constrictive word. Do you have a different phrase for yeah, it? Yeah, like spending plan. Yeah, spending plan. Because people good. love to spend, right? <laughs> and so uh, a budget is just a planned way to spend money. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and if you do it well, it actually can produce freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the way that and and the one of the keys that I think um, is that you know most people are going to be frustrated with w- without any spending plan at all. You, there are going to be ways that you're frustrated with your spouse about the way they're spending money, mm-hmm. or at least you're going to disagree with their prioritization and the dollar amounts they're spending, you know? Mm-hmm. I determined early on that, you know, when my wife came home with a new dress, I didn't want my first thought to be, well, how much did that cost? Mm-hmm. Or, hope you got that on sale. Mm-hmm. Or, where'd you buy that? <laughs> right. You know? I actually wanted to be able to enjoy it, yeah. rejoice with her, encourage her, suggest she go try it on and model it for me, mm-hmm. right? You know? <laughs> And uh, and the only way that I was going to be able to to do that uh-huh. is if I knew that she had a budget for clothes, right, and that she respected that budget, 
gave her the freedom to make an expenditure like so that. So she knows yeah. that she's within that boundary, mm-hmm. that uh, playing field, if you will, and she knows I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to ask a question about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Or that does the, make that that makes bringing the dress home a lot more fun. I can does. guarantee you. <laughs> or if you bought some new gadget or something, mm-hmm. it works the other way too exactly. for her, so that she doesn't have resentment towards you as well. <laughs> yeah, very good. Do you uh, do you suggest that couples agree to check in with each other before they spend, let's say, a, a higher amount of money? Is is that a, a good idea? Yeah, I, you know, I think <clears throat> that um, the key is spending according to the plan, mm-hmm. but even within the plan, there can be uh, some value to talking about that. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, you know, when it comes to home improvements um, and spending money around the house, mm-hmm. I determined that. Stacy had a lot of energy around what that was spent on, how it was spent, mm-hmm. and that I really didn't care mm-hmm. as much. Gosh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> I, our and, walls could have been white. And the, furniture could remain in the exact same position for 20 years, I'd and it would never bother camper. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so one of the common things that couples uh, do is they'll say, well, we're, we're going to agree that, you know, nobody spends, neither one of us spend over $100 without checking in or asking, mm-hmm. okay? Well, I think that's a generally good idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my case, if if we had a $1,000 budget for home uh, furnishings or w- whatever the number was, I don't really care if Stacy goes and spends right. 500 of it. Right. She doesn't need to, to check in on that mm-hmm. um, because we've agreed that for that category, mm-hmm. that's really your turf. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get that involved in it. So I think it's a matter of who's the one that, that really is kind of the main spender in that category mm-hmm. and and then see if you want to set a but, – but it, now, I'm not saying that every husband should care less about the home. Right. You know, right. Yeah. in other words, if, if the – I know I have some friends that – some guy friends that, that they care as much about that – Sure. Home improvement categories the wife does. Or yeah. even more. And more. Yeah. And so they, you know, that's fine if they want to agree that mm-hmm. let's talk about it before we spend it. But it goes back to what you're saying, the freedom that comes when you're living on a spending plan. That if you buy a, you know, $500 piece of something, but it's that's in the budget and it's it's categorized as that, it just creates so much more peace, I think, in the home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And you're listening to Marriage to the Max.
Welcome back to Marriage to the Max. If you're in the greater Houston area, we want you to know that we host a monthly date night experience called Dinner and a Marriage, and we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more about that at our website at homeencouragement.org. And we are continuing our conversation with Randy Schrader of Ronald Blue and Company, and uh, we've been having a good discussion about money, how best to manage it together, how to talk more honestly and openly about it before you walk down the aisle, preferably. So another question, Randy, I wanted to throw to you, is it ever wrong to borrow money from your parents? Now, this comes up not just for engaged and newlywed couples, but even for couples that have been married for a good while. What's what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think that it's a, a black and white issue. I mm-hmm. don't think it's one that you want to... Um, uh, necessarily drive a stake in the ground and say, a, you know, that the biblical principle is you could never do that. Right. But I do think that it's one of those wisdom issues that if you're going to do it, you better be real careful. Mm-hmm. Um, parents, a lot, I've just seen a ton of parents that use money to manipulate their kids. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you borrow money and you f- start finding that, you know, you're getting manipulated Mm-hmm. Uh, or guilted, or or shamed, shamed, mm-hmm. or it's putting pressure on your relationship. I I, I borrowed some money from my dad, you know, in my twenties, mm-hmm. and I can I'll never forget the, you know, one month I was late making a payment. Yikes! And my mom called me and said, "You're stressing your dad out because <laughs> <laughs> he keeps that ledger to the penny." <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I thought, "Wow, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. <laughs> not that I like being late on payments, but I'm just not sure that uh, I want to add this level dimension of conflict right. into that relationship." Right. Um, and Keep in mind, Proverbs 22, 7 says the borrower's servant to the lender. Mm. It didn't say only if that's a commercial lender. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're a slave to your father. Whoever it is. That's or true. father-in-law. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And so do you really want slavery injected into your family relationship? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, that leads me to a similar question. Is it okay to co-sign a loan? Because a lot of times parents might get involved with maybe helping a, a couple get either their first car or maybe their first decent car or something like that. It's kind of the same kind of thing. I mean, I know the Bible's... Well, y- yeah. So the, there are some references in Proverbs that would lead you to believe that we should be really cautious about um, uh, guaranteeing somebody else's debt. Mm-hmm. I think the way that you would want to think about that is just assume that if you if if you're the one doing the co-signing or the pledging, mm-hmm. just assume you are going to have to pay for this one day. Right. right. In other words, the tendency is to say, "Well, sure, I'll co-sign it because I'm never going to have to pay for it." Right. Just count on paying it. Just paying for it. If you're going to co-sign a loan, just count on. Assume it's your loan. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. And if and, and in that way, when you do have to, it doesn't put any stress, doesn't freak you out, you know, right. because you you assumed that that would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the, like, let's say the young couple that might be benefiting from parents co-signing the loan, then it's back to what you said before, that it's that same type of potential tension, you know, of borrowing money from your parents. It's the same kind of situation that 
you just need to go in with your eyes wide open what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and really, it, it's there's a big difference between if you're co-signing a loan because you've never had credit before, mm-hmm. and and you're just the, the kid can't get right. a loan can't because they happen. have no credit. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you know. I think that that's a little different, and yeah. I think there's more legitimacy to just get them launched with their first piece of credit. Right. Um, that makes sense. That's a good point. But if it's they're 35 years old mm-hmm. and they have bad credit and yeah. they can't get a loan, now we're talking about a different situation. Right. And you start having to ask the question, am I enabling bad mm. behavior by co-signing this loan? Mm-hmm. And do I need to practice a little bit of tough love mm-hmm. and say, eh, you know, actually, I, I don't think I uh, should co-sign that. Right. That's a good point. We had talked about debt earlier and just wanted to ask you what your opinion was about uh, different types of debt. You know, are there some debts more allowable or more acceptable or yeah. beneficial to a young couple than others. Yeah, right, right. Well, so I think the answer is yes. There's a big difference mm-hmm. in different kinds of debt. Mm-hmm. Now, Proverbs 22.7 that says the borrower servant to the lender doesn't break it out and say, uh, yeah, this debt is really bad slavery and this debt is mm-hmm. minimal slavery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... <laughs> the truth is there really is bad slavery and minimal slavery. In other words, right. you have a house mortgage. Um, you know, I have a house mortgage, sure. right? right? And so as long as the percentage of your income that's going to that is reasonable, mm-hmm. that's not going to put you into a lot of slavery that's going to really uh, be strangling. Mm-hmm. But look at the other end of that spectrum, and when you start talking about credit card debt right. at 20%, um, and you're piling up, you know, thousands of dollars of that and using a ton of your income for that, then, yeah, that gets to be pretty ugly debt. And then in, in, in the, so the, those are the bookends. And then in the middle is car debt and student loans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so student loans are, you know, that's a more productive debt in the sense of it, if it enabled you to study, to get a degree, to get a job, to, you know. Mm-hmm. But even said, you know, uh, I think our students these days are, are uh, really a little too quick to borrow money on student loans. And then they end up being shocked mm-hmm. when they get out of school mm-hmm. at how long and hard it's going to be to get out of that debt. Yeah, go for those couples. Both of our kids are in college. Our our daughter will graduate from college this year, and she has, on more than one occasion, thanked us for making sure that she's not going to be in debt when she graduates because so many of her classmates will be. And, you know, that's not a judgment in any way. We were just blessed, and God blessed us to be able to do that for her. That is so but, good. Um, but, yeah, it, she she's realizing it even at 22, you know, how important that is. So mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Another question that comes up frequently with young couples, particularly couples that are looking toward marriage, is, you know, is it, does it matter who pays the bills, who balances the checkbook and keeps the ledger, as you were saying, and all that kind of thing? I know in our marriage, like the first 10 years of our marriage, you know, I, I did all the financial stuff, kept the books, balanced the checkbook, all that kind of thing. And then uh, somewhere yeah. along the way, we switched. Yeah, I'm and I, out. I found out that I really enjoy doing and that. It. I didn't really care to do it, yeah. and you were better at it. So we just 
flipped yeah. uh, kind of in a day. Yeah. And now I do like the end of the year stuff and the taxes yeah. and all that kind of thing. But so we've got a real nice little system that's worked for, you know, the last 15 years. So, yeah, yeah that's good. That's know. good. And I think that's a great picture of what I would, how I would answer that question of mm. just who, who is most gifted to handle it and who has the time to handle it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it could be the man or the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would add to that is if you're in a situation where you're digging your way out of debt, mm. then you have more stress and pressure in your financial world than if you have no debt, mm-hmm. okay? Right. If only one of the spouses is involved in the money right. in that situation, right. they are bearing the brunt of that stress alone. Mm-hmm. And it's generally not healthy when, you know, when, when there's a lot of aloneness uh, around that. So let's take that situation. Let's say they're in that kind of uh, paying that kind of debt off, but one person is really gifted to do it. So they're assuming the load of keeping the books and so forth. And maybe the other one is not gifted or inclined that way. Would you suggest like a weekly check-in or uh, some kind of financial meeting that they have every, every other week or something like that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In other words, if, if you're actually juggling bills to say, who am I going to pay mm-hmm. and who I'm not, not going to pay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're at the point where you're actually getting phone calls mm-hmm. from creditors, right. okay? That's stressful. You know, that's the point at which you, you got to put them together, mm-hmm. particularly if the woman is the one paying the bills let me just say a word to to you guys. You know, don't let, don't require your wife to be the one hmm. that's fielding creditor I, phone calls. I agree with you. And totally. juggling who she's going to pay, mm-hmm. and you're over there clueless and mm-hmm. happy mm-hmm. because you're clueless. You know, get under the weight of that with her mm-hmm. and bear that burden with her wow. and do it as a team. Yeah, appreciate you saying that. That's really big. How well, important do you think it is to have short-term financial goals and long-term financial goals? I remember when we were first married, I, you know, I was barely 20 years old when we got married. And so long-term financial goals, retirement, IRA, that was just not even in my, you know, scope of thinking. But I, but I would think, you know, but we want to have money for a vacation this summer, you know. And so how important is it to kind of, you know, talk about that openly? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, your situation is is what I find in most marriages, and that is that one of the spouses cares more about the short term and one of them cares mm. more about the long term. Mm-hmm. It's not categorical that it's the your situation where the wife cares more about the short term mm-hmm. and the husband the long term, but in more cases than not, that actually is the case, mm-hmm. especially if it's a situation where the woman is a stay-at-home mom and the husband is working mm-hmm. – He's thinking, and if we don't plan for the long term, I'm going to be working till I'm a hundred, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and I'd like a little more flexibility <laughs> than that. Right. That's a really good point. And the wife is more if if she is focusing a lot of her energy on the kids in the home, mm-hmm. then she's just going to be sensitive to uh, you know 
I think we need to carve a little more money out of the spending plan mm-hmm. and put it towards the family. Right. Right. And and so that's short term. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the husband's over here thinking long term. Yeah. yeah. So got to got to bring them together. Got to yeah. talk about them both. That's really good insight. Well, we obviously just keep coming back to communication and you know, it's probably why finances continues to be uh, at the top of the list of what causes divorce is that it's so rarely discussed. You know, it's the kind of thing that always has to kind of be in front of you, at least in some kind of ongoing open communication. Anything you would say in particular about a spouse keeping financial secrets from your fiance, even under the guise of, uh, well, I'm just protecting him or her from the nasty details, so to speak? Yeah, there may be some circumstances in which that could be valuable, but I I just can't think even think in, of one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I just uh, I just don't think that uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna find anything that's gonna be really in the long run valuable to to do that on. And you know, flip it around, put yourself in that you know situation, and say. How would you feel mm-hmm. if the spouse kept that yeah. from you? Mm-hmm. Ninety-eight cases out of a hundred, your answer is going to be, "Yeah, I would. I, don't, I wouldn't want them keeping that from me." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually heard it worded as financial infidelity, which is I, I've heard a few times now, but it, that kind of puts it a, a bigger, a close, hotter mm-hmm. light on it. I think if, when you referred to it that way. Well, it's important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, statistically, we're convinced from what we're hearing that. Uh, lack of communication on finances is causing more divorces than affairs. You know, so if you put it in that terminology, financial infidelity, that's a that's a pretty significant thing to pay attention to. I had a pastor come to me a couple of years ago and say that his um, his wife just revealed to him that they had fifty thousand dollars of credit card short term debt. Wow! And he had no idea. Oh my she was keeping all the bills and the pay and everything, and just had. You know, it snowballed out of control, mm-hmm. and she just was too embarrassed to say anything. Mm-hmm. But it got out of her control. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing was that once it came to to light, mm-hmm. and even this wasn't the senior pastor; it was an associate pastor. The senior pastor uh, came into the picture and was just unbelievably supportive. Mm-hmm. And as a team, we were able to rally around this mm-hmm. family. Wonderful. And and uh, get them on a plan, get them uh, out of debt. And, you know, it just freed them up mm-hmm. in their marriage. Their, their marriage was just in the ditch right. as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And and it just totally uh, freed them up to take their marriage to another level. Mm-hmm. So why do you think, Randy, the Bible spends so much attention and time on the discussion of money? I mean, Jesus talked a lot about money, much more about money than he did heaven or hell, even. That's right. Yeah. Um, over uh, 2,300 verses in the Bible about money, more than just uh, almost any topic. So I think that um, a couple things come to my mind. First, I think God knew we were going to have have our time with it. So just <laughs> practically speaking, he's mm-hmm. thinking, I got to give these guys a lot of help <laughs> on this one because they're not going to make it if I don't. <laughs> so pretty loving of God, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, really. Really grateful yeah. that uh, he didn't leave us alone on that one. You know, um, Luke 16, 11 says that um, you can't love God and money. 
And so isn't it interesting that money is elevated to the top of the food chain there mm. of the number one thing that's going to compete for your heart? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have said any number of other things. Sure. You can't love God and food. Or sex or exactly. something. Yeah. But, but he, he put money at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if money is in that commanding of a spot, mm-hmm. then it would make sense that God would give us a boatload of help mm-hmm. and verses about mm-hmm. it. And it makes sense, doesn't it, that we, you know, he would say you can't love God and money because that's our natural tendency is to to look to money to meet needs. Mm -hmm. I would call them emotional needs. You know, think about your need for respect. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a valid, legitimate biblical need to be respected. There's nothing wrong with that, and you're not weak as a person that you need respect. Absolutely. The question is, how are you going to get that need met? Are you going to allow the respect from God and Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. to touch that need, or are you going to go buy a Mercedes? Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty simple, easy, tangible, and practical to get that respect need met Mm -hmm. by buying a Mercedes. Mm -hmm. And you, you gain the respect of, of people. Mm-hmm. And so we do it all the time. We have, you know, comfort is a, is a valid, legitimate biblical need. Mm-hmm. When we're hurting, ultimately, God is the ultimate source of comfort. Mm-hmm. But how do we use money to comfort ourselves? Right. We go shop. Right. We, we buy things. We're manufacturing some counterfeit substitute for God. Exactly. With money. And you can do it with money mm-hmm. on almost every need you think of. Temporarily. Temporarily. Right. For a short-term period of time, mm-hmm. you can actually make yourself feel better through the use of money. Mm-hmm. And God knows that. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you're loving money. Mm-hmm. And then you still got to clean up the mess and... The statement is coming. <laughs> Got to open that bill. Well, Randy, you've been awesome, and we're so grateful to you. I know this is going to give newlyweds and newlyweds and people even thinking about marriage a lot to ponder and to discuss, and we agree with you wholeheartedly that this is a topic that you just can't spend too much time in quality, intimate conversation together as a couple, so we appreciate that. We'd love to bring you back next week and talk more generally about marriage as as you're deeper into marriage. So look forward to that. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Randy. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out homeencouragement.org, or you can email us at the Hursts, that's H-U-R-S-T-S, at homeencouragement.org. And also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd also love it if you would rate this podcast on iTunes. If you're listening uh, through iTunes, this will help us build our audience, which will allow us to encourage even more couples. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.